This is the Unsportsmanlike Podcast on ESPN Radio. Okay, welcome to the show. We are Unsportsmanlike here on ESPN Radio, ESPN2. We are presented by Progressive Insurance, along with Michelle Spoman, Chris Canty, Evan Cohen with you. You heard it there, Niners Radio Network. Niners come back from 24-7 at the half to beat the Detroit Lions 34-31, represent the NFC in the Super Bowl, and the Kansas City Chiefs, who don't score a point in the second half, find their way into the Super Bowl yet again. Kansas City, San Francisco, rematch, Dan Campbell, fourth down calls, Lamar Jackson not living up to the hype, Brock Purdy of the Niners coming back, and Mahomes is just goatee. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Evan. Good morning, Smalls. Those were two hell of a games yesterday. Conference championship weekend did not disappoint, although it felt like in the latter game that the Detroit Lions gave up the ghost in the second half. That was a disappointing collapse. It was epic. But, Smalls, I got to say, this is going to be an interesting Super Bowl matchup. Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers taking on the Kansas City Chiefs. They did it four years ago, and the Chiefs had an epic comeback in that game. So, I'm curious to see what we're in store for this time around. Good morning, guys. Um, I guess as Nuno told us, it's just morning for Javante, our producer, who's a Detroit guy who was cheering for the Lions yesterday. I, too, was cheering for the Lions. I cannot believe the collapse that we saw yesterday from the Detroit Lions giving up a 17-point lead. Uh, I know we're going to get into that, but first things first, I think uh, to open the show, I need to have a personal apology to the Kansas City Chiefs, a personal apology to Patrick Mahomes. I have doubted you all season long. I did not think that you were that good. I said that there was absolutely Absolutely no way that this version of the Kansas City Chiefs would be in the Super Bowl. And here we are. Here they are yet again. So I am sorry I brought cash today to put in the bad take jar. I'm going to need some change because I could only get 250s. I said I'd put $87 oh. in. Um, or I could just prepay for some bad takes. But I am sorry, Kansas City. I will never ever doubt Patrick Mahomes ever again. Even though his uh, his defense certainly helped him out yesterday and Baltimore helped him out, he is there yet again. It's interesting because I've had a lot of terrible takes. Kansas City was not one this year. I just <laughs> You can't write that team off. You just can't. And it feels, I know I'm a Pats guy, but everybody was saying it yesterday, it feels like what they were doing. Like you just never write them off no matter what. And they found a way in. But let's start with the late game here, guys. San Francisco beats Detroit 34-31. We mentioned 24-7. At the half, everyone thinking that maybe possibly this game is over, but the Detroit Lions allowed the Niners back in the game. Brock Purdy, second half, ridiculous. 13 of 16, 174 yards, a touchdown, 49 yards rushing, was a totally different player in the second half, a huge play to Brandon Ayuk, really changed it, which should have been intercepted on a deep ball and a bomb, which he normally doesn't throw it like that, and he should have been picked. It wasn't. That totally (laughs) changed the game there. And I think, though, everyone is going to go to Dan Campbell today, understandably so. There were multiple moments throughout this game where Dan Campbell, who is a risk taker, he is certainly not one of these guys that is risk averse. Fourth and three from his 30-yard line, from the 30-yard line, 732 to go, down 27-24. He doesn't kick a field goal, a failed fourth down pass to Amon Ross St. Brown. And that closed out the game right there. Should have kicked the field goal. Everybody was saying it at the time. That's who Dan Campbell was. That's who Dan Campbell is. And guys, it bit him in the butt yesterday. No question about that. Yeah, but I don't understand the decision-making tree, the rationale for Dan Campbell. He goes for it in the third quarter, and you're talking about a fourth-and-one situation where he could have kicked the field goal and stayed up by, what, three possessions, but instead decides to go for it, and they get stopped. Now, Josh Reynolds probably should have caught that ball, but if you think about right before halftime, you have an opportunity, ball, goal to go right there. 
and you decide that you're going to kick a field goal to go up three possessions. I don't get why going up three possessions, going up 17 points was good in that spot, and it wasn't good in the third quarter. To me, it should have been flipped. If you were going to go for the dagger, go for the dagger right before halftime. And if you don't get it, you still give yourself a chance to regroup, but you guarantee that the 49ers don't get to carry any of that momentum throughout the rest of the game. But as a matter of fact, the 49ers come out in halftime because they get the ball, they deferred, they score a field goal, and then they get a stop right there on fourth down when you could have kicked a field goal, and then they march down for a touchdown. That's a 10-point swing. At that point, they got the momentum in it, the crowd's back in it, and then all of a sudden the pressure mounts on your team who's largely young, inexperienced. This is their first time there. And so I just felt like that was Dan Campbell mismanaging the game. And a part of, you know, being a head coach is feeling the heartbeat of the game. And I think he did a poor job of feeling the heartbeat of the game, especially in the second half. I get wanting to be aggressive, but you have to look at the cost, benefit, the risk, reward. And to me, it just didn't exist in that spot. Yeah, I would have taken the points any way I could get them versus that San Francisco team, or at least attempt to go for the points. But as Evan said, this is who Dan Campbell was. It's who he is. They've been. But go- it wasn't who he was. In the, that's the thing. You, we say that it's who he was, but it wasn't who he was right before halftime. That's the part I don't understand. You got the ball on the two yard. Like, go for it. Go for it. You're up by two touchdowns. You have nothing to lose in that spot. Go for it. Yeah. If you want to be aggressive and you've been aggressive all season long, go for it in that spot. But don't kick a field goal there and then tell me we're going to go for it in the third quarter or we're going to go for it in the fourth quarter when you're down by three on a fourth and three when you could have kicked a field goal to tie the game. That 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 decision didn't make any sense to me at all as well. But I, I hate to cut you off, Smalls, but it's just incredibly frustrating because of the inconsistency within the game yeah. when it comes to his rationale and when to be aggressive and when to play a conservative. Yes, he was aggressive at, at peculiar times and conservative at peculiar times. But this season, they went for it on fourth down 34% of the time during the regular season. It's the highest rate of any team this century. This Lions team was all about being aggressive, and he didn't want to change their approach in this game. But they have to convert in order for it to work, obviously, and it didn't work out. But I just think that maybe you are a little bit more judicious about that. Even if it's worked for you in the regular season, if you have an opportunity to take points, I think you should at least go for it. You know, the field goal there so there were three moments where we're talking about in terms of the interesting fourth down decisions there was fourth and goal from the three in the second quarter with 10 seconds to go the one the cc is referring to up 21 7 they decide to kick the field goal i thought that was the right move at that time fourth and two from the san francisco 28 with 703 to go up 24 10 i thought they should have kicked the field goal i am i am not risk averse i am i am somebody that wants to be safe in that spot personally how so you I are do, risk averse I'm, i am i am risk averse sorry i said it incorrectly yeah. yes i am risk averse i'm not like dan campbell is what yeah. i meant to say yeah. right i kick the field goal get points trust the defense and then obviously fourth and three from the 30 yard line uh 27 24 if you kick field goals in that in that spot you're trusting special teams trusting defense and you're, you're extending the game in a way that is you're kind of slowing it down a little bit and you're providing no momentum assuming you make the kicks which is obviously right. an assumption But if you make the kicks, you are providing zero momentum to the opposition because it literally slows down the game. You're walking off the field. The special team's running on the field. You have to kick off. There's probably a touchback. Like, the whole momentum part of it is absolutely different. We heard the highlights from KNBR Niners Radio Network coming in. Let's hear the other side of this now, right? Dan Campbell on his decisions to go for it on fourth down. I just felt really good about us converting and uh, getting our momentum and not letting them play long ball. You know, they were bleeding the clock out. That's what they do. And I wanted to get the upper hand back. And it's easy hindsight, and I get it, you know. I get that. But I don't regret those decisions, and that's hard because 
you know they didn't we didn't come through it wasn't able to to work out but i just i don't and i understand the scrutiny i'll get that's part of the gig man but this didn't work out no, that's a cop-out, dog. I'm not going to let you have it. And I love Dan Campbell because, as I've mentioned before on this show, he's a former teammate of mine. We played together under Bill Parcells with the Dallas Cowboys. But you got the ball fourth and three with seven and a half minutes to go. Keep in mind, San Francisco got all of their timeouts. I don't understand why you go for it and you're down by three. It makes no sense. If you're telling me that you believed you could have ended the game with the ball and scored a touchdown to win it, then that's one thing. But with them having all three timeouts to two-minute warnings, the likelihood of you being able to bleed the clock out seven and a half minutes, and you got the two-minute warning baked in there, it's it's highly unlikely. So it's not a situation right there where you had the benefit of being able to go for it and win the game and don't give them another chance. Like, that's the part that didn't make sense. Even if you score a touchdown on that drive, best-case scenario, you're up by four. It becomes a four-down game for the San Francisco 49ers. There's still no lock that you're going to win the game. So kick the damn field goal, get some momentum back, kick off, and let your defense play ball. And know that San Francisco has to play field position because they got something to lose if they decide to be too too aggressive. So I just it didn't make any sense in terms of his decision making tree on when to go for it and when to play it conservative. I just didn't understand it at all. And when you look back on this season in hindsight, I get it. He's trying to change the culture, and that was a part of you know being aggressive and going for it on fourth down. But dog, you made it to the NFC Championship game. You are one win away from the Super Bowl. There is something to lose. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to make sure that you're, you're playing this game and putting your guys in the best position to win the game. And from a strategy standpoint, from a tactician standpoint, I think Dan left a lot to be desired yesterday. Would it change your mind if, the, if you looked at the numbers and both of those decisions that he made to go for it on fourth down later in the game slightly favored? The analytics said go for it is slightly better. Not even a little bit. ESPN Not even a little did bit. the analytics did the model, and in both of those situations, it was slightly more beneficial to go for it. Not even a little bit, Smalls. And we talk about analytics all the time. Like in baseball, analytics makes sense because you got 162 games. Mm-hmm. So over the course of that long regular season with that many opportunities, the law of averages is going to bear itself out and put you on the winning side of it. In a football game, like like <laughs> there are too many variables, and and they can't account for the personnel. It can't account for you know the momentum in the game. Like there are just too many things that you, too many variables, too many X factors that you can't account for in the analytics. So that's the part of it that makes it hard to buy into. But even even that being said, if you were going to be aggressive in that spot in the third quarter. Why wouldn't you aggressive right before halftime? Like, that's the part that doesn't fit. That's the part that doesn't track. And and that's the part that I think the, the players in that Lions locker room are going to have a hard time squaring with their head coach. Unsportsmanlike is presented by Progressive Insurance. Your small business keeps you on the go. Progressive Commercial Insurance keeps your policy within reach. Easy to use mobile app. Learn more at ProgressiveCommercial.com. All right, there's a lot more to get to, obviously, on that game. Did Dan Campbell lose it for the Lions? 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. Plus, the Brock Purdy part of it. Awful first half, awesome second half in helping the Niners win that football game, obviously. And there was another game, Mahomes. Just Mahomes. But Lamar is going to take some heat today, rightfully so. We'll get to all of that coming up. It's Unsportsmanlike on ESPN Radio. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Wise, the account that helps you manage your money all around the world. 
Dining in dollars, doing business and bought wherever life takes you. The Wise account helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast. Wise is the easy way to connect all of your finances internationally. Buying that dream property in Portugal, done. Freelancing in France, no problem. Sending money back to mom, simple. All without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. Minimum fees, maximum ease, full speed. Join 16 million customers and learn how the Wise account could work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash unsportsmanlike. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This is the Unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio. This is Unsportsmanlike with Chris Canty, Evan Cohen, and Michelle Smallman. Flashback. If we're saying everything has to be ideal for Brock Purdy in terms of everybody being in the right place and everybody being healthy and available in the lineup, you got a problem. If he can only be successful by doing things by the book, you got a problem. And it's going to be hard to win championships because your margin for error is going to be raising things. Well, as Tim Hasselback on ESPN pointed out last night, Brock Purdy more off script than maybe he's ever been yesterday in that second half. We are unsportsmanlike on ESPN Radio. Along with Michelle Smallman, Chris Canty, Evan Cohen with you. 34-31, Niners beat the Lions. Niners, Chiefs, Super Bowl 58 coming up in Vegas in a couple of weeks. We're going to get to the Ravens-Chiefs part of it because never count out Mahomes. And Lamar deserves a hit today, at least in my eyes. But Brock Purdy yesterday absolutely gave you something in that second half that you were looking for. 13 of 16, 174, a touchdown, 49 yards on the ground. His rushing and knowing when to run was really a huge part of this. And I hate that we have to do it this way, but we do. Coming off of watching Lamar Jackson and the Ravens lose, and Lamar rightfully so getting critiqued for not running at the right times, Purdy ran at the right times. The game completely changed on a lucky play for Purdy that should have been picked on a deep ball intended for Brandon, uh, Brandon Ayuk. Went off of the defender with the Lions who couldn't catch the ball and right into Ayuk's hand. But Purdy showed you something in that second half, guys. And he obviously was part of that Niners' great victory yesterday. Yeah, I mean, Brock Purdy's best plays were with his legs, not his arm yesterday. Mm-hmm. I mean, the biggest passing play they had was the one you mentioned to Brandon Ayuk down the field that should have been picked off. It hits the Lions guy right in the face as if Brock Purdy was throwing it to him, as if he was a 49ers receiver. But the scrambles that he had in the second half were big time. I mean, there was the one right after the fumble by Jameer Gibbs where he takes the ball inside the five-yard line. Eventually, they punch that in for a touchdown. But the one that was the critical one for me and the backbreaker for the Detroit Lions, San Francisco up three with less than five minutes to go. It was third and four, and Brock Purdy just breaks out and scrambles for a first down. Like, th- that is an absolute the back-breaking play that eventually leads to a San Francisco 49ers touchdown. Alex Anzalone, the middle linebacker for the Detroit Lions, got the best seat in the house. It looks like he's spying the quarterback, and yet he can't close the gap. So Brock Purdy, sneaky athletic. (laughs) But to me, that game was more about the Detroit Lions collapsed than any kind of greatness that Brock Purdy was able to summon. And it's not me hating, it's just a fact. That's the third largest collapse in conference championship game history. And the only two that were bigger were by 18 points, not 17 points. So, I mean, again, there's something to be said for the 49ers taking advantage of the opportunity with the Lions leaving the door open. They just kicked it in. I get it. And Brock Purdy was the head of the snake. I get it. But there are also a lot of plays in that ball game that make you scratch your head 
and think whether or not those are plays that Brock Purdy can consistently get away with, especially against championship caliber team. I'm sorry, rolling to your left, throwing back across your body, lollipops over the middle of the field, that's not going to work out. You can't keep routinely doing that and expect to be on the right side of it. And we'll see what happens when he's going up against the Kansas City Chiefs secondary in a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. But, I I mean, I think that game – was more about the Detroit Lions having an epic collapse than it was any kind of greatness that Brock Purdy was able to summon. Again, not taking any credit away from him because he made some great plays with his legs in that ball game. He also made some decent throws. Not going to say he didn't, but to me, it's more about the Lions and less about Brock Purdy and the 49ers. I think my word for that game was composure in the second half. You know, and to me that is part of what makes Brock pretty great is that down 17 points he didn't panic. He was able to summon that composure and mount this comeback that was the like you mentioned the biggest comeback in an NFC Championship game ever. It ties the the 2012 49ers who did it 17 points and in those moments he was able to step up and make those critical throws that he needed to. Are they the most jaw-dropping plays like we saw from Lamar earlier when he would scramble and made that unbelievable pass? No, but he's able to make Make the passes, make those big br- those runs. He was a huge reason why the 49ers were able to win. So I give him all the credit in the world. For I that. do too. I agree with you. I think when you have two straight weeks of this, I mean, he came the uh, final drive against the Packers, and then obviously this. I think that you got to look at Brock Purdy and say that they're never out of it because of their team with him leading the team, and the players love him. The coaches love him, and he makes big plays. I'm just uh, yes, two things can be true. Did the Lions fall apart? Yes. Was there bad slash bad decision making by their head coach? Absolutely. Brock Purdy, pick, you know, one, uh, not 199, the last pick of the draft. Mr. Um, Irrelevant. Right, Mr. (laughs) Irrelevant. Did what he did, and Smalls, you've said it all year, that where he is picked, like, shades our view of him a little bit. I think if he was a first rounder or a lottery type pick. We'd look at yesterday and say it's all about Purdy. But be, like we still want more and more and more to believe out of this guy. I think he's awesome. I think he's awesome at what he's asked to do. He's not going to be asked to do what Mahomes is going to be asked to do. To be fair, he's not going to be asked to do what Josh Allen is asked to do. And that's okay. He is awesome at what he is asked to do. And he's going to the Super Bowl after last year taking his team to an NFC Championship game. Ryan in California watching on ESPN2. What's up, Ryan? Hey, y'all. How y'all doing this morning? What's going How's on? How's it going? What's up? Yes. I've been a Lions fan since 1983. Since Mighty Clark was our coach, Eric Hipple, Gary Danielson, and Mike Colford, Billy Sims. This was an epic collapse. I agree with Chris. If he was, if Dan Campbell was going to gamble, he should have did it in the first half. We are 30 minutes away from the big dance. Why go for it on fourth down? Why do it? And I agree with Chris's point. It was more about the Lions collapse than it was by the brilliance of Brock Purdy or the Niners' comeback. You know, not taking anything away from the Niners. They were the number one seed for a reason. But when you get down uh, to the, their 28-yard line and you have the momentum, you got to put your foot on the neck. You cannot let up. And I'm just, as a Lions fan for 40, uh, 41 years, I'm so livid right now. Well, and, and I hate, and, and Ryan, I hate, I hate that you got to live amongst all of those 49ers fans out in Cali. Oh, yeah. So good, so good luck with that one. But yeah, I mean, there, there were just those plays that, that were there and, and you just scratch your head and you question what, what were they thinking about? Like Josh Reynolds with the drop passes or how about, 
the drop pass by Jamison Williams on the footy flicker. That was a beautifully placed ball by Jared Goff. That's a touchdown. That is a touchdown, but it's logged as a drop pass. Like, your receivers can't let you down in that spot. I mean, Ben Johnson, I thought, called a masterful game, especially early on. He kept that 49ers defense guessing. They actually had to start bringing the blitz, and the 49ers never blitz. They're bottom five in blitz rate in the NFL. But the fact that you were in position in several points in that game to take control of the game or reestablish your dominance in that game, and Dan Campbell didn't do it, and he gave opportunities to the 49ers to climb back in. And that, to me, is something that I will never understand. Even going to the Jameer Gibbs fumble, why are you running a track play inside when you've been killing them with crack toss and reverses to your wide receivers all game long? That made no sense to me at all. I mean, we're talking about only eight rush attempts in the second half? He basically ran him as a fullback on that play. Like, I just I don't understand it. Like, you, you, like, like if you're going to run that inside play – why isn't David Montgomery in the game? David Montgomery is your thumper. He's the guy that's the, 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 the guy that gets the tough yards, you know, understands the value of a four-yard run. He's the guy that does the damage in the run game in between the tackles. Jameer Gibbs is more of a slasher. He's the speed guy. Why, why would you ask Jameer Gibbs to run a trap play? And then that's the thing. You've been killing him with the outside run all game long, just like the Green Bay Packers the week before. Killed the 49ers defense with the outside run. And you got away from it. You got too cute. And it ended up burning you. But again, it comes back to that decision to go for it on fourth down in the third quarter. You decided that you were going to go for it for whatever reason, rather than kicking a field goal and keeping a three-possession lead. And Gilquit ends up happening. It's a 10-point swing. Then you turn the ball over. And it's a tie ball game before you can blink. The, the caller just said something interesting about putting the foot on the throat. I think that Dan Campbell's mentality, which helped get them there, let's be clear on that, is momentum puts the foot on the throat. I think what we're saying, if you want to talk about analytics, which is math, a three-score game versus a two-score game is actually the putting the foot on the throat. It's just kicking the field goal to make it a three-score game. It's not the momentum in that spot. I think Smalls, he's very conscious of the momentum in that spot. But it didn't work. Correct. <laughs> it didn't work. It does not work necessarily when it fails, of course. Well, I mean, momentum is also putting points on the board. I agree with like that. That's what I'm if saying. They, if, they, if they come out and get three, then they get some momentum. You take the momentum back by kicking three and keeping it a three-possession game. That's, totally. that's the point. That's exactly the point. Is this, If we're going to care about math, which is analytics, care about a three-score game versus a two-score game. Care about that, that math. <laughs> right. That's the math you should care about. All right, coming up. Lamar Jackson had his moment yesterday. He's a two-time MVP. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame as a result of that. Did he play like a Hall of Famer yesterday? We'll get to that next on Sportsmanlike on ESPN Radio. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. So what's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go visit your parents, hang out with friends and catch a movie? They're all solid options, but what about devoting time to yourself? maybe taking up a personal hobby you've put off. With everything in your life that you handle, work, picking the kids up from school, running errands, you never really get enough me time. The best way to squeeze that time into your schedule is to first understand your own personal value and then make yourself a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Prioritizing mental health is an important part of my life. Let BetterHelp empower you to be the best version of yourself and guide you along the journey of becoming a better you. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. 
All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash unsportsmanlike today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash unsportsmanlike. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is the Unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio. Well, unfortunately for Lamar Jackson, they did turn the ball over yesterday, as her WBAL 1090 AM in Baltimore. We are Unsportsmanlike here on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance, ESPN2, along with Michelle Smallman, Chris Canty, Evan Cohen with you. Kansas City wins 17-10, their fourth Super Bowl in the last five years, and Kansas City didn't score in the second half of this game. Five punts and a kneel down, and Lamar Jackson, 20 of 37, 272, touchdown and an interception, eight carries, 54 yards. So we, rightfully so, on our show, spent a lot of time talking about the postseason failures around Josh Allen, that he did not have that top line on the resume. No MVP, no Super Bowl appearances. Guys, I'm going to be fair in my mind on this. Lamar Jackson has had accomplished more in his career than Josh Allen. I know everybody wants to go there comparatively. If you're a two-time MVP, which you are, if you're going to be in the Hall of Fame, which he's going to be because he's a two-time MVP, that performance yesterday has to be significantly better than it was. Lamar Jackson had a below-average performance and overthrew bad decisions. I was very disappointed in a guy that I'm a huge fan of, I didn't like what he did yesterday. He deserves a little hit today, and it was not ideal for Lamar. Yeah, I mean, two turnovers, including one in the end zone, that, that's not going to get it done, especially against Pat Mahomes. When you got number 15 on the other sideline, who's the greatest quarterback uh, in, in of this generation and maybe the greatest quarterback of all time, you can't make those types of mistakes. But I hate that we start this conversation with the comparison with Josh Allen. Because I saw it all in my Twitter mentions yesterday at the end of this game. And everybody waited till the very end before they came out and started trolling with the whole Josh Allen bit. Let's stop ourselves with that one, okay? Let's stop it. Both of those dudes, Lamar and Josh Allen, have lost to Patrick Mahomes in the conference championship game. Josh Allen lost much worse in the conference championship game than Lamar Jackson did yesterday. So let's stop it with that. Lamar Jackson has two MVPs. Josh Allen has zero Don't give me the stats. Don't give me all of that stuff. Don't stat me down. Lamar Jackson has two MVPs. Josh Allen has zero. So let's just stop with that, okay? Let's stop with that part of it. Now, as far as Lamar yesterday, he's got to find a way to be better. And, And I thought that the Baltimore Ravens had a lack of poise when it mattered the most. The Zay Flowers taunt after a big pass play, that's something that can't happen. I mean, when you have that explosive play, 
you've got to take advantage of that type of momentum. And when you have a 15-yard personal foul and give it right back to him, that's worse. And to compound it, the coup de grace was when you gave him the ball quite literally in the end zone for a touchback. And guess what? The guy that you were taunting was the one that knocked it loose to force the fumble. So, I mean, those are situations right there where you would expect leadership to show up, especially when you're dealing with a rookie wide receiver. But those are the types of mistakes that you can't make against a Kansas City Chiefs team when Pat Mahomes is the quarterback. Two turnovers in the end zone on the day and and the four personal fouls, those are the things that get you beat against a quality football team with an all-time greater quarterback. 95 yards and penalties. That's not that's not going to help you when you're going not against the Kansas all. City Chiefs or really any team in the playoffs for that matter, but especially this team. And because he is a two-time MVP, I expected more from Lamar Jackson yesterday. I just did, and I think that that's a sign of respect. Just like with Josh Allen, I think that you have the ability to beat a team like the Chiefs, and therefore when the opportunity presents itself, you should take advantage of it. When I saw at the beginning of the game Lamar Jackson have that miraculous uh, play where he spun out and he had that beautiful throw that resulted in a touchdown, I was like, okay, this is going to be it. This is the game. This is Lamar's playoff performance that we're going to remember. But really outside of that, it was anything but. He had no answer for Steve Spagnuolo's defense. He had some really poor decision-making, some some throws that he certainly would like back, and he needs to wear it a bit today. He... He should have been better yesterday. I mean, let's let's be honest. Lamar Jackson is a not a good, a great regular season performer. And his postseasons do not match his regular seasons, right? I mean, the definition in many ways of being clutch in the postseason or being a great postseason performer is just matching what you do in the regular season. There are many players historically in all sports that have an average that they have in the regular season that dip in the postseason. Lamar's that guy now. Lamar is that guy. We're not asking him to be more than he was in the regular season. We're asking him to be the same. Lamar Jackson is not the same in the postseason as he is in the regular season. Simple as that. He is worse. There's no argument around it. He loses more in the postseason than he does in the regular season percentage-wise. He turns the ball ball over more in the postseason than he does the regular season. He throws worse in the postseason than he does the regular season. He is not the same player. By any stretch of the imagination, Lamar Jackson, again, is a two-time MVP. We are asking him to be an MVP in the postseason. That is not an unfair ask for somebody who's actually been a two-time MVP. In reality, it is unfair to ask Josh Allen to be an MVP in the postseason because he's not that in the regular season. I'm not asking Lamar Jackson to be anything different than what he is for 17 games. And yesterday he was different. He was significantly worse than he was for 17 games. Well, here's the thing. He was blitzed on half of his dropbacks yesterday, and he was blitzed 20 times the week before against the Houston Texans. And they didn't have an answer for the blitz from Steve Spagnuolo. I mean, Lamar Jackson against the blitz yesterday had a a season-low 41% completion percentage. He was 7 of 17 and included a sack on that one. Like That's the thing that's so frustrating about it. Lamar didn't do anything to cover himself in glory, but Todd Monk and his offensive coordinator certainly didn't do anything to help him. They didn't have any answers for the blitz. Also, Lamar on third down was awful. One of six for seven yards and two sacks, that ain't going to get it done. So being great in situations, being great against the blitz, being great on third down, being great in the red zone, they were over in the red zone yesterday. Those types of things fall on the quarterback. And so I think it's absolutely fair to criticize Lamar, especially knowing that this guy's going to have a second MVP in the trophy case in a couple of weeks. So we can put a lot of this on him. But by no means is it all on him. The coaching staff, especially the guys on the offensive side of the ball, didn't do a great job. And now, I'll say this, that defense, they did well in the second half, 
But man, they they let those they let the Kansas City Chiefs make some plays in the first half, and I don't understand why Mike McDonald decided that he was going to try to cover Travis Kelsey one-on-one when it was clear early on that that wasn't going to work. Because in the first half, Travis Kelsey had nine targets. He had nine catches. Like, that, 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 like, I mean, that's the part of the game where I just don't understand. When you see that your matchups aren't necessarily working out for you, you got to be able to find some answers for them, and it was clear that they didn't in that game. And that's why the Chiefs were able to roll. Again, Lamar Jackson, Smalls nailed this the last couple last week. You said specifically Lamar Jackson would get more hate if he's not good enough on Sunday because of the level he's put himself at. Yes. Right? I think CeCe and I went to a place of people have made up in their minds that they want to hate him upon arrival of a bad game. I think we're all right here, right? But I think I'm seeing it through your lens of, wait a minute, take a step back. This is a two-time MVP who's going to be a Hall of Famer. He looked nothing like a two-time MVP that's going to be a Hall of Famer. You know who did yesterday? Patrick Mahomes, who we'll get to, obviously. We have, we have a month to get to Patrick Mahomes, basically. We will. That guy looked like an MVP. Brock Purdy, we've been hyping all, all season, looked like a guy that deserved the hype. Jared Goff looked like a guy that was drafted number one overall at times yesterday and led a second team to an NFC championship game. By far, the worst quarterback that played yesterday, based on performance, was the guy that has the most, outside of Mahomes, individual in-season hardware in Pat in, in Lamar Jackson. He was bad. CC gave you all the proper X's and O's that we as average fans don't see when we're watching that he does, but it all goes back to Lamar Jackson. If we're going to be critical of great players, which we are, it is a compliment. We have to be critical of Lamar, which we've been. Bad decisions, overthrows, not knowing when to run. That's another thing we should discuss. This guy is an all-time great runner at the quarterback position. I never get the got the feeling yesterday that he knew when to run the ball. It was always seemingly a second too late. Every part of what he did yesterday was what below was below, excuse me, the expectations because of what I've seen from him. I'm not asking him to be something he's not. He was an MVP. And I completely agree with you. Like him not knowing when to take off, him having, you know, two and three hitches and giving the What's pass rush a chance that? to affect it. I, I mean, I guess he's waiting for the big play down the field, but sometimes the big play is just a positive play. Right. Keeping the drive moving forward. Four yards. Keeping it, ma- keeping it manageable. And I thought that's the great job that Kansas City did with Pat Mahomes. Every time I looked up, it was second and six or better. Third and three or better. Like it, they stayed on schedule in the Baltimore Ravens we're routinely in longer downs and distances. What do I mean by that? You're talking about second and eight plus. You know what I mean? Third and six plus. You, it's, it's hard to sustain drives when you do that and you leave yourself overly reliant on the Blake play, and that felt like what Lamar was looking for all game long. Now, a part of that is his offensive coordinator putting him in better positions. Like, I'm not going to say Lamar didn't, didn't you know play poorly because he absolutely did, and he's capable of doing much better. And he's capable of overcoming the X's and O's. But what I'm saying is his offensive coordinator didn't help him. They didn't move the pocket. We didn't see any bootlegs. We didn't see any sprint outs. We didn't see any zone read with Lamar keeping. Remember on some of those critical third and fourth downs that they had against the Texans? What did we see? QB sweeps. We saw none of that yesterday. Why not stress the defense in a different way when you have one of the best runners, if not the best runner at the quarterback position the league has ever seen? Those are the types of things that are maddening to me, and that's why I can't hang all of this loss on Lamar. Now, he deserves the lion's share of blame, Mm -hmm. no question about it, and that's what makes it different from what we saw last week with the Buffalo Bills loss because I don't think 
Josh Allen deserved the lion's share of the blame in that game. But in this one, Lamar certainly does, and he's going to have to wear that for the rest of the offseason. I just don't like it when we do the comparison between Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson because from an individual accolade standpoint, there is no comparison. But that's what everybody wants to go to after we saw what we saw yesterday and after we saw what we saw last week in the Chiefs win in Orchard Park. From somebody who's been there, CeCe, how much does experience matter? Because I know John Harbaugh has also won a Super Bowl, but as I'm watching the Chiefs yesterday, to me it was pretty apparent that they knew what they were doing because they've been there. They're familiar in this situation. They know how to execute. And Baltimore seemingly did not have that same level of composure. And I'm just wondering how much experience It's, it's easy to see. Think about Travis Kelsey. Yeah. I mean, I'm the person who fouls that Travis Kelsey yet. Exactly. He drew but, one. That's the point. Against there Calvin Roy. Who's that's, also experienced, but, but, which I was stunned but, but about. That's, but that's my point, though. Yeah. But that's my point, though. Like, he, he, he drew one, but he didn't get one. And then you saw Zay Flowers on the other side yes. of that, and he ends up getting one after one of the biggest plays that the Ravens had in that ballgame. Now, here's the thing. If he doesn't have that penalty or if he doesn't have that turnover, the complexion of the game is completely different, especially with the way that Baltimore's defense was pitching a shutout in the second half. They stopped Kansas City on the first five drives of that second half. Like, I mean, just like completely shut them down. Like, so I guess that's the frustrating part because you saw that defense start to suffocate the Kansas City Chiefs offense. It's just that the Baltimore Ravens offense couldn't match what their defense was doing, and that ended up costing them the game. We go upon further review next on Sportsmanlike, presented by Progressive Insurance. It's demon time on Prize Picks, where you can now win up to 100 times your money. That's right, 100, 100 times, times your money. With as little as four correct picks, you can turn $10 into $1,000. Demons and goblins are the newest and most exciting way to play at Prize Picks. Squares marked with red demons or green goblins get you different payouts. And as always, Prize Picks is really simple to play. You can make your picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. They even offer injury insurance so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stat types are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Go to prizepix.com slash morning and use code morning for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepix.com slash morning, code morning, for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. Reggie White, who's a defensive end for the Green Bay Packers, says that the firebombing of his church in Knoxville, Tennessee this week was the work of racists who may have been trying to hurt him. First there was one fire, then there was another, then there was another. It wasn't just Reggie's church that burnt down. Hundreds of churches burned in the 90s. I think we have a major problem in our country that we don't want to admit, and that has to do with racism. Was this 1996 or 1956? 30 for 30 podcast and Antscape presents Through the Flames. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio. He still reeks of bacon, wrapped with bacon, with a side of bacon, after a long NFL Sunday. I love bacon, but I never actually say it. Bacon just knows. But man, does he have some thoughts. And bacon, this is Upon Further Review with Chris Canty. Along with Michelle Smallman, Evan Cohen with you. Chris Canty is here. Upon further review, what do you got, CC? Oh, upon further review, we're going to kick this thing off with the GOAT. And I know people are talking about Tom Brady, but I'm going to go ahead and say it right now. Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes' first six seasons as a starter is better 
than Tom Brady's first six seasons as a starter. That is not opinion. That is fact. I am just being objective. Yesterday, the Kansas City Chiefs became the third team to make the Super Bowl four four times in a five-season span. You're joining the 90s Bills and the 2010s Pats. But when you compare Patrick Mahomes' stats through the first six seasons as a starter to Tom Brady's, think about this. Patrick Mahomes' record, 72-22, and 22, as compared to Brady's 70-24. Playoff record, Patrick Mahomes 14-3, Tom Brady 12-2. Patrick Mahomes, Mahomes four AFC titles, Brady three. Mahomes two Super Bowl rings to Brady's three, but Mahomes is playing for the Super Bowl. He's going to be in Super Bowl 58. Mahomes, touchdown to interception ratio, 258-69. to Brady, 167-87. to Quarterback passer rating, 103.7 for Mahomes to Brady's 88.4. I'm just saying, when you look at it statistically, when you look at his overall impact on the program, on the team, having high-end success, I don't think it's close. Patrick Mahomes' first six seasons as a starter in the NFL is better than Tom Brady's. He is on a GOAT trajectory. He's going to have a chance to match and maybe, just maybe, exceed what Tom Brady was able to do in getting seven rings. That's how dominant Patrick Mahomes has been. Since he's been the starter, the season starts for him in the AFC Championship game. That is astounding. Thinking about how vulnerable this team looked at the beginning of this year, how vulnerable they looked even in that loss to the Buffalo Bills with Kadarius Toney lined up offsides. Yeah. And they are back in the Super Bowl. And they have a chance to go back-to-back, be the first team to go back-to-back since the 2003-2004 Pats. That is unbelievable. Everything you just said is factually true. Now let me add another sentence to this. Do it for 16 more years, and then you're Brady. Think about Brady's career. He had 16 more years after this. Now, Mahomes is so good, he may not need 16 years. Exactly, that That's part. the amazing part of it. But, again, Brady did it for 23 years in the NFL. It's just remarkable. And I've made the comparison to the 06 Pats with this team a lot, that they didn't have the weapons around Brady, still got the AFC title game. Kansas City got one step further. And it's funny, Smalls, a lot of the Patriots fans that I see on Twitter all recognize this. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, we knew that it was going to happen. Because this is what that looks like. You, this you is Be- said that. This is Belichick and Brady. We've been saying this for months. It's the They have become the Patriots so quickly. We haven't seen in the NBA somebody become the Bulls like Michael. We've seen someone become the Patriots immediately, yeah, it's which nuts. is just crazy. I was in kind of an emotional vortex about it yesterday because I really wanted the Ravens to win because I want Patrick Mahomes to have that peer, to have that rival. He doesn't. I, and I wanted it to be Lamar. I thought, okay, he's he's won one MVP. We are all assuming he's going to win his second. If he beats Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs and goes to the Super Bowl, he could be that guy. But then I'm thinking, but we're watching Michael and LeBron in real time. So I also kind of want Patrick Mahomes to continue on his greatness because that furthers the historical greatness that we're lucky enough to witness. But he doesn't have any peers. He is peerless in what he is able to do. It's the perfect word for it. Peerless. That is Patrick Mahomes. All right, keeping it pushing. Number two. The Detroit Lions at the San Francisco 49ers. There we go. I'm going to tell you something. Whoever the Washington Commanders draft, whether it's Drake May, whether it's Jaden Daniels, whether it's Caleb Williams, that quarterback should have a huge smile on their face. Why? Because they're poised to have one of the best play callers in all of football, and that would be Detroit Lions offensive coordinator Ben Johnson. Now, it wasn't his decision to go for it on those fourth downs in the second half, but I will say this, masterclass in terms of how he kept 
Kyle Shanahan and Steve Wilkes guessing and how they dismantled that 49ers defense, especially in the first half. 148 yards rushing in the first half, 149 yards passing in the first half. I mean, impeccable balance. You're talking about them having 18 first downs in one half of football. 71% conversion percentage on third down. I mean, just absolutely dominant. They averaged over six and a half yards of play. It was a, a, a master class in terms of being able to utilize this personnel, utilize formations to create mismatches and distort that 49ers defense. Ben Johnson is going to be an outstanding get from a play-calling standpoint and a quarterback development standpoint because of how user-friendly he makes his offense. It is unbelievable what he was able to do, not just in that game yesterday, but what he's been able to do all season long with the Detroit Lions offense. Tip of the cap to Ben Johnson. It wasn't his fault that they lost that game. It wasn't his fault that some of those you know roll-the-dice plays didn't work out. Drop passes is what plagued them. I mean, the Jamison Williams drop pass, that was a touchdown, and Josh Reynolds in the red zone, that ended up being a drop on fourth down and huge momentum swings. But Ben Johnson did dial up the X's and O's yesterday. Outstanding performance by him. And I wonder how that's going to impact the Detroit Lions if you remove him from the equation. I think about Shane Steichen and the Eagles and how much success that Jalen Hurts was able to have with him as the offensive coordinator. And you just wonder if the Lions are going to be able to replicate what they did this season if he's not part of the equation. Absolutely. And last but not least. The Detroit Lions at the San Francisco 49ers. Jared Goff is a top 10 quarterback. And that's the part that's going to go under the radar because everybody's going to talk about the 49ers. They're going to talk about how Brock Purdy led the comeback. And all of those things are true. But Jared Goff was outstanding in yesterday's game. And the stats don't tell the full story. So don't throw stats in my face. Jared Goff, even though he had a passer rating below 90, it wasn't his fault that his receivers dropped passes in that ballgame, but he was just putting it right where it needed to be. I I just didn't understand some of the the decisions by the head coach in terms of a game management standpoint, but Jared Goff did a great job. He kept the football out of harm's way. He was dropping dimes all over the field, and he typically doesn't play well when he goes back home. He doesn't play well against Kyle Shanahan teams. He had lost the last five games that he played against Kyle Shanahan coach teams, but Jared Goff did everything he possibly could to give his team a chance to win. Unfortunately, his head coach didn't do the same. So Jared Goff, even though it was in a losing effort, um, there are no silver linings when you lose in the conference championship game, but I think the Lions should rest assured that they do have a top 10 quarterback moving forward. This guy is a really good football player. All right, guys, let's have fun with this. Guys, you would definitively take over Goff, Mahomes, Lamar, Burrow, Allen, Allen, Dak? Probably. Purdy? Probably. Stroud? Probably. Love? Yes. Trevor Lawrence? Yes. That Jalen Hurts? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, uh, it's well, that, right. that puts And then Herb, Herbert, we assume, but not yet. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, if that's the company he's in, if you think he's right there, I'm, I think, I'm I think, missing anybody I think, there. I think he's a top-ten quarterback. Yeah. I think he's a top-ten quarterback. I mean, look, he's the guy that turned the Lions around with Dan Campbell. Like, he's the guy that provides leadership for this team. Thanks for listening to the Unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio. You can listen to Unsportsmanlike live weekdays from 6 to 10 a.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and on Sirius XM Channel 80. You can also watch on ESPN2 and on ESPNU. Unsportsmanlike with Evan Canty and Michelle.
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.